0: Welcome to Betrayal Trauma Recovery. This is Anne. I'm continuing my conversation with Tanya and it's a really hard conversation. Um, If you haven't heard the first part of her story, please go to last week's episode, listen there first, and then join us here. I've been made aware in the last few weeks of our dear, dear sisters who are struggling, which is all of us, right? Um, Specifically, sisters who are struggling with Uh, Losing their children in custody situations or um, legal situations that just seem so difficult. So, I want you to look forward to me interviewing a bunch of amazing women who have a lot to say about how to navigate the legal system, which also comes up in this episode of the podcast. I really think that God is trying to help us. And as each of us, Are praying, for help, that we also need to pray collectively for the help of all women. And so I invite you to pray with us. I pray morning and night, um, and I'm going to talk more about this later uh, regarding the wheat and the tares. (laughs) If you're not religious, just perhaps a moment of silence or something, I don't know, but if we can unite around the world to bring peace to the world and peace to individual homes. I think God would be proud of us. And it's what he wants us to do. He wants us to have peaceful homes and to bring peace. Okay, so we're gonna continue.
1: Tony's just gonna start. I was thinking it was because I was trying to destroy his life. I was trying to destroy his career. I was trying to destroy his family. But it was because he was having an affair behind my back with a woman inside of his gym, And not just one, there was multiple.
0: And his family knew about it and they still blamed you?
1: His family knew about it because he doesn't just manipulate me. I feel like he manipulates his family. I started to understand that he blames his mom for anything that he does. If she doesn't help him with his needs, I think he threatens her. I'm not coming to visit you.
0: So the final time you leave, let's talk about that. The time you're actually able to escape.
1: The final time that I left, this time I have been with him for almost nine years. And verbal abuse, emotional abuse. Financial abuse. I would go outside and ask my neighbors for food, and he would masturbate in front of me. He would watch porn in front of me. He would sleep outside of the home. He completely isolated me from everyone. At this time, now I wasn't even able to contact my family member because I started to feel so ashamed. They started to tell me, Tanya, he is not. A good person. You have been with him now for over 10 years, and all these 10 years you already left him two times. These two times you decided to come back. This is the third time now. There is nothing we can do because you chose to go back. You chose to believe in his family, and you're still calling us back and telling us that he does this, he does that. You are the only one who's there, and you are the only one who's seeing what's going on inside of your home. What else can we do? So my family, practically, they wash their hands. And his family, they still be there, but not for me, but for him. And we have a son now. I was home with my son. And I was worried about COVID. My son was going to school. He had this cough that we were afraid of. Taking him to the hospital because of the consistency of the cough, it was so congested. And I said, I don't know if it would be a good idea for us to take to the hospital because I'm very good with herbal medications and all that stuff. So I was just doing anything I could at home. And he wouldn't give me the car keys or money to take my son to the hospital. And then I said, I think he's sick. What if he has COVID? That day, he came home at 1 o'clock in the morning. Me and my son were sleeping. And he comes upstairs, didn't take a shower, didn't sanitize, and he wants to jump inside of the bed. And I told him, no, you can't. My son also looks at him and says, no, you can't, because I'm scared of the virus. And he says this is my home, this is my bed, I'll sleep here. I said, no, you can't. And I stand up off the bed, and as I was walking, he comes behind me, and he start doing like sexual movement. And I push him, and he pushes me back, and we start going back and forth, and he tells me, B word, the S word, nobody wants me, nobody likes me, I am nothing look at me and look at him as a football player. Everybody wants to be with him. And I'm here in his life doing nothing. There is other woman that would gladly be with him. I said, go, I don't care what woman would be with you, but I will not stand you talking to me like that anymore. Never again, not in front of my son. And he says, listen, tonight, We'll see who's going to live. My son started crying and I grab my son. I go to another room and I close the door. I run outside and he comes behind me. He grabs my knife down and he pushes the knife ground. And I grab a picture frame. And I throw the picture frame in his head. My son was watching. And right away he starts screaming, today. I will call the police on you. You're going to be arrested. Right away, he grabs the phone, calls the police. The police came in, and they say, what happened? I start to explain. And he says, even my son saw her throwing the picture frame on me. And the police officers just take me in.
0: So you are arrested for domestic violence after being abused consistently for years. This happens to women. It happened to a friend of mine. We know that it does happen to victims. So talk about what happens next.
1: I am inside of the jail for some reason. I just felt this peace coming over me that now I know I can leave this marriage. I know that God took me out, even though I went inside of the jail. But I know that God took me out from that situation because just me, all these years, I was not able to get out of that place. I was not ever, ever able to explain to anyone what was going on. For over 10 years, I actually went to church. I actually went to a shelter and I explained it to them what was going on, but I was never able to stay there and tell them I don't want to go back inside of their home. When I went to church, I told them, listen, this is what he does sexually. This is what he says. Yes, I am his wife, but how can a wife have sex with a husband that does those things, that calls her name? Please make me understand, as a wife in the Bible, How can I do that? There was no one that ever came to me and told me that me not accepting having a sexual relationship with my husband in those circumstances was wrong. Everyone that I went to, they were telling me, you have to try. You have to save your marriage. You have to try. The more I tried, the more he was abusing me. The more I cleaned the home, the more I became more submissive the more I dressed up more conservative, the more I didn't spoke to my family, the more I didn't go to his place of work, the more I stayed home. Anything that I tried, it was abused to the point that I was starting to develop hypes all over my body. I was starting to develop anxiety. Anyone that would come to my home, knock the door, I would have these panic attacks. When I went to jail, everything stopped. I stayed in jail for three days. I did not develop hives. I didn't have any panic attack. I slept so well that I woke up, I drank water. I felt so good. When I came out of jail, I didn't have a place to go because, again, he isolated me from anything that I know, everybody that I know. I couldn't go home. One of the moms called and she told me, Oh, I want to invite you to bring your son. Let's go play soccer. Let's go to the beach. Let's go do something. I said, please help me. I just came out of jail. And she says, where are you? I told her where I was. And right away she came to pick me up, took me to her home. And I stayed there for almost a month. After a month now, I had to find a place to go. And shelters they were helping me with the food and lawyers and people that I can talk to to help me with my case. I'm here I haven't gone home yet and our case still going on and he was fighting to take the custody of my son for almost a month I wasn't allowed to see my son. My lawyer was actually able to help me to regain back the custody. So now we have 50-50. Since I have been here now.
0: When you say since you have been here, you're in the domestic violence shelter now?
1: Yes, they found the apartment for me to stay.
0: Okay. You're staying in an apartment with the help of the domestic violence shelter now.
1: Yes. And since I have been here in this apartment, he's been trying to contact me, telling me that he doesn't want to get a divorce telling me that he's sorry, telling me that he doesn't know why he has been behaving the way he does. I still have this confusion in my head. Outside, everyone sees him as this wonderful man. He's a coach. He's a leader in a community. He goes to volunteer my son's call. He helps his clients develop this positive attitude about themselves, about their bodies and minds and soul. But at home, he was so disrespectful to me that I lost myself. After me going to jail, for me to be where I am, for him to say that he wants to go back with me, that he doesn't want to get a divorce, I am still confused. I am still lost.
0: Well, he does not want to lose control over you. When he says those things, that's grooming. He's trying to groom you back to be with him because he does not want to lose control over you. I would say you're not important to him as much as the control over you is super important to him and his reputation.
1: Yes, I'm not important to him because he has never done anything to make me feel important. He really thought that I am only worth to take care of our son, have sex with him, clean the home, cook, and do whatever it is that he needed to do with me.
0: So in this confusion, are people helping you see through that? Because it is a really hard time to think, well, maybe he really does care or maybe he really will change or something like that. And that's a dangerous time because he's never shown any Evidence of doing that. So all of his words are really dangerous right now. How are you feeling right now while this grooming is happening? Is it easy for you to see it as grooming, or is it still just so traumatizing and confusing?
1: I say it's both because I'm speaking to a counselor and she's helping me saying, Listen, he has a restraining order. You can speak to him, you can't go back to his home, you cannot go to his Jim, you cannot speak to his family members. He has a restraining order on me.
0: Despite that, he's contacting you to try and get you to talk to him?
1: He's the one who's contacting me. He's the one who calls me. He invited me to a staycation. He wants to buy me stuff. He keeps asking me if I need anything. And I ignore him. I blocked him from my phone. But he still... Going back and forth with me and wanting to have that communication. And another part of the confusion just comes. Maybe this fact of me going to jail, maybe something clicked on his mind and me filing for divorce. I keep going back and forth.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. And it's also just the abuse talking. It's the abuse talking that, like, maybe he's changed, maybe he can change, maybe he does care, whatever things. That's just the abuse talking. It's not reality, because he hasn't shown up as a completely different person. He hasn't called his parents and said, hey, I've abused her all these years, physically, emotionally, sexually. It would be like a nuclear bomb went off. He would be so different. And the worst part about it is, the abuse, if he went back now, he'd only know that he really could really genuinely get away with it again. I mean, it would only embolden him
1: more. Yeah, that's what she's saying as well. But you have to remember... I have a seven year old and I have nobody. And I just filed for divorce and I have no finances. I was not allowed to take any courses, any going to school, any training, nothing. I depended on on him for almost everything and anything. So I am very sure because I know that my lawyer told me that he denied my request for child support and alimony. So I'm sitting down here and I'm still waiting. Until when am I going to continue to live in a shelter? Now my question is, do I go back to Canada? And even if I go back to Canada, am I going to be able to take my son with me? And I cannot continue to be in a shelter having 50-50% of custody and I don't have financial means to take care of my son. And you also have to remember that I don't have my green card in order for me to get a good job. Because he took your green card.
0: With your lawyer, what does your lawyer say about these circumstances right now?
1: She's helping. She's helping trying to regain all my documentation that he has taken away from me and helping me with counselors and therapy and he was actually insisting that I should go and take a psychological evaluation when he was asking for my son's custody. He wanted me to do that. My lawyer said no because even though she can't really explain the extent of what was going on in your home, there is proofs. Just the simple fact that she doesn't have her documentation, and all this year she hasn't been able to go see her family. That is proof. So, no, we are going to continue to support you. We are going to continue to listen to you, and we're going to be able to get something for you to survive, for you to be able to help your son. And I think this is where he knows that I am that vulnerable, that I'm going to... Want to get help from him so that my head would go back and say, Oh, listen, I don't have anyone here, and life is really hard out there. Okay, right,
0: yeah, you're in an extremely vulnerable situation, but you can get out of it, it's going to take time and effort, and it's so hard and probably seems impossible but I just want all of our listeners who are listening, can we pray for Tanya? Like she needs us. She has nothing and needs our help. So I'm going to solicit prayers for you from our community that understands. And you're in an extremely vulnerable situation, but I would say so many victims, even if they do have family, or even if they do have things, they still feel that sense of like, nobody believes me. I can't figure out how to fix this or get out of this. And they feel stuck. So that feeling of being stuck is something that's really familiar to all of our listeners. And that we can really empathize with you in your specific situation. I am so sorry that you're in this situation. It sounds absolutely almost impossible.
1: But I think the impossible part is just the fact that I feel like nobody's listening. No one is listening. No one cares. That No one wants to believe me. I felt so sheltered for a very long time that now, who am I? That I have lasted this long in this marriage, that now that I even want to come out, I cannot come out. Because of my lack of knowledge, my lack of understanding, fear of what marriage should be or shouldn't be. And listening to the outside world, and I continue to come back to a situation that I knew from the first day that was bad. That I knew that living in this country by myself, with a man who would do anything that he can to make me feel ugly, alone. It's a battle that I don't want to fight and it's not my own battle, but it's a fight that I am in that I don't want to fight. So many times I thought I'm going to give my son to him and I'm going to go, but also, Again, it goes back to that place where I keep hearing what mother would leave their kids, what mother would leave her son to be raised in a place with so much dysfunction. I cannot do this anymore.
0: Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah.
0: Yeah, and I really truly believe, like, I don't know what your life's going to look like. It's most likely going to be very difficult for a very long time. But I do think that God will light the way one tiny step at a time and the arrest even though it was crazy that it was a blessing and the attorney that you have now and the fact that you have food and you have a a roof over your head is progress. It's progress.
1: It is progress but I also feel like should I even pray because the times that I went to church and speak to them and having counseling in the church and they kept me pushing back to go to that place of abuse. I keep having that picture of him masturbating in front of me, of him just completely disregard me in that way. Mm
0: -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and that's really extreme sexual coercion, psychological and emotional abuse that you're experiencing. It is mind boggling to me that people Out there, think that pornography is not an abuse issue, or that women are not affected by their husband's porn use, or that somehow their infidelity isn't, it's like just something that men do, that it's not an absolutely debilitating abuse to their spouse is crazy to me. It's interesting to me that in telling your story, you've been physically abused, you've been verbally abused, you've been psychologically abused. You've mentioned that several times. So, one of the most traumatic things for you was the pornography. Of all the things. And people might be like, well, that wasn't a big deal. He punched you. And you're like, the thing that is most traumatizing was the sexual abuse.
1: It is because I really do feel that if it wasn't the sexual behavior, meaning the infidelity, watching porno, just having women at his disposal. I just feel like men would be able to understand marriage or the marriage covenant a little bit more if porno was not there in their face. I'm not saying that may not be just one aspect of the abuse, but I feel like it was the main aspect of the abuse because if I have access to this porno women infidelity in front of me, then when I come home, what do I need you for? But to be angry with you, not to respect you, to call you the names that I, I can call you, I really do believe the sexual, for me, was a very, very big thing, very big part of my abuse situation in my marriage. I really do believe that.
0: I'm one of the most traumatic of all the abusive things. Well, we wish you Godspeed in your healing and with your son, That things can start going a little better, you know, just step by step. They can't go any better if you're in contact with him. So obviously your current trajectory of maintaining no contact with him is your best bet for safety.
1: Oh, I just wanted to say thank you so much for listening. And I have been listening to you for a very long time. I came across your podcast and... It made me listening to all the viewers that you had and people that were listening to you. And I heard their stories and they resonate with me so much that you have no idea. And that made me straight that the first thing when I came out from jail, I just thought about you. <laughs> it is very sad. I feel very sad and I feel very lost. I don't know where my life would go right now. And I am afraid. I do believe that there is a higher power out there. I do believe that I will come out of this very strong.
0: There are thousands of listeners to this podcast. And so just
1: little old you,
0: little Tanya, who thinks that no one is listening and that nobody cares. You've now just told your story to thousands of women across the world, who have heard you, who are praying for you, who care, genuinely care about you. We might not be able to do anything for you, but we care and we are here with you in sisterhood and we will pray and hope that God provides a miracle for you. Because not knowing where your next meal is going to come from and not having any control over where you're living and having no money and having no support system. In fact, your quote unquote support system supports your abuser more than it supports you is an untenable and completely overwhelming situation. And I don't know how it's going to work out for you, but I do know That God sees you. He's listening now. He loves you. And we love you. I mean, I mean, thousands, Tanya, of women. You've listened to us on the podcast. We've been this, hopefully, light in the darkness. But in this moment, right now, we're all here with you. And I hope you can feel our love and our support in your absolutely crazy fight
1: <laughs> you have to fight yes yes it is it is crazy and it's scary and it's lonely it's everything that you can ever think of and but i do have my son and i do have this podcast that i have been listening to and it just made me feel i am not alone and that just made me comfort
0: we're not crazy these similar thoughts go through every woman's head who is faced with this Do I just put up with the abuse? What alternative do I have? Is my life, am I going to be homeless? Am I going to be able to have my son? You are not crazy. The only thing that these types of thoughts prove is that you are a victim of abuse. That's it. This is how victims of abuse think. And to walk yourself out of it takes a lot of courage and bravery but I also hear that in your voice. I hear that you are brave. I hear that you are strong. I hear that you have courage in spite of the most difficult odds, some of the most difficult odds that I've ever heard of. But you can do this. You are incredible and brave and strong. You are amazing. And we're proud of you. I'm proud of you for coming on this podcast and sharing your story when you really don't have a happy ending, at least not yet, right? And I'm hoping that maybe next year or maybe in six months, you can come back on and share the glimpse of your happy ending, perhaps the light of the tunnel, some light that you can see because you've continued to take steps. You've trusted your attorney. You've used the resources that were available to you. And I think that's another thing that's really hard. Like right now you're at the mercy of other people for food and housing and that feels absolutely humiliating, but it's okay. You can't do it by yourself. You're not some superhuman. You are amazing and you're incredible, but you're normal. You're just a human like all the rest of us. And so like, just know it's fine. This is what these systems are for. Utilize these systems. Don't feel ashamed. Don't feel bad. Know that you will make your way out of it. But instead of feeling ashamed, just know that they're there for you. Because people who don't even know you, people in the government, people at the Justice Center, women all over the world, they care about other women who are being victimized, and they might not even know your name. And that's why a lot of these resources that you have available now to you are available. They're for this situation. And we freely give them to you. The community, the culture freely gives it to you because you deserve it. You deserve help.
1: There is two things that I would like to ask to you guys, to anyone that is listening. I don't want to go back to that man. I would like to have my son with me. And what am I asking is just to everyone, send me that energy, that strength and courage to please make me be strong, not to go back in the hands of that man. Because what I've seen, I cannot even explain. To you, I never knew rest until I went inside of that jail. Another thing is, I do not have a family member, not even one in this country other than my son. He's the only person that gives me hope to continue. I'm asking to please pray for me. We will.
0: We have listeners from all over the world who listen to this podcast, including you. You've been listening to this podcast since 2018, and you are one of our sisters. You are one of us. We are with you. And we will pray. We will pray for you, Tanya. So thank you for being so brave to share your story. Keep listening to the podcast, and we're with you. I want to thank everybody for listening. Um, My heart is really tender right now about not just Tanya's story, but so many stories that I've heard. And if you'd like to join us in Betrayal Trauma Recovery Group, we built it for the situation. It's the least expensive appropriate option out there. It's unlimited live support all the time, 24-7 practically. Um... There's multiple sessions a day in every single time zone. We would love to see you in a session today if you're struggling with these things. Now, Betrayal Trauma Recovery Group, it's not the right place to process crime if you need to report crime. So we do recommend you join Betrayal Trauma Recovery Group, but then if you're also dealing with crime, that you schedule an individual session with Coach Renee so she can help you navigate your local resources. That's really important. The good thing about Betrayal Trauma Recovery Group is you don't have to set an appointment. You don't have to wait. You don't have to leave the home. You don't have to get childcare. We are here for you. Go to btr.org to check out the session schedule. If this podcast is helpful to you, please support it. Go to our website, btr.org. Scroll down to the bottom and click on support the podcast. And until next week, stay safe out there.